Our Bibles tonight, go to Matthew chapter number 16, please. Matthew chapter number 16. I hope you'll be praying for our school as uh, this coming Thursday we begin another year. I think, I think we're just a little over 290 students for uh, the school year, and uh, that is an increase, uh, just a, a small increase over where we were last year, and so we're thankful for what the Lord has uh, done there and the students he's brought our way. Uh, we had families in church this morning that, that, that have been reached as a result of the Christian school and enrolled their kids, and, uh, and our teachers loved on them, and uh, our, our people loved on them, and they're here, and they're growing, and God's doing a work in their lives, and we're thankful for it, and uh, we, we want to see that continue. And so you pray for our school and, and uh, for our, uh, our leadership, our teachers, all of the folks, and certainly for our students and for our families. Matthew chapter number 16, uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 13, and we'll read down through verse Number 18, and we'll pick up where we left off this morning. The Bible says in verse 13, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And of course from there we get the title for the message for today, Christ's Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, I spent a considerable amount of time this morning sort of on the introduction, and, and I, I don't have time to go back and, and to rehash all of those things. We tried to build a case for the fact that this is not a passage in which Christ is saying that Peter is the head of the church or that he is the foundation of the church. Because Peter's just like you and me. He, is a, he was a sinful man, an unusual man. God used him in a great way, but he's a sinful man. And no sinful man can be the, the foundation of a spiritual house like this. And, uh, and, and we tried to develop that thought just a little bit. We talked a little bit about really the question that precipitated all of this, and that is this, who is Jesus? And that's what the church really needs to be all about, is proclaiming who Jesus is, figuring out what does our community think about who Jesus is, and then trying, using the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to convince them that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God. We talked a little bit about the fact that this conversation in which Christ first introduces the concept of a church takes place in Caesarea Philippi. And that may not mean a whole lot to you. It may not mean a whole lot to us as people, but if you consider the nation of Israel at that point in time, that is in the far north region. That's away from the city of Jerusalem. That's away from uh, the, uh, the worship of the temple and, and the sacrifices and the scribes and the Pharisees. And what's even really more significant about Caesarea Philippi is that that is a place in which primarily Gentiles live. And so this idea that Jesus is introducing the church for the very first time, he brings up the subject of a church in this place called Caesarea Philippi, which is a place that is primarily made up of a Gentile 
population seems to us to be sort of a, uh, a forethinking type of an idea in which Jesus is looking on ahead and he's saying, though the church has a Jewish founder, and though the early members of the church are primarily Jewish, if you consider the totality of church history, 2,000 years or so, the vast majority of the church is made up of Gentiles. Jesus seems, obviously, to have known that because Jesus is God, and he certainly would have known that, and he would have understood uh, the, the makeup of the church in the years to come. And so we talked about all of those things, and we said that in this text, uh, we, we find what, what really makes a church Christ's church. You know, not every church that has the name church on it makes it a church that is pleasing in the sight of Christ. Not, not, every, not every congregation that gathers on a weekly basis and meets for the purpose of worship and, and, and singing songs and giving and teaching a, a message or a lesson, not every one of those is a church that has the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ upon it. In other words, you likely drove past many churches to come here tonight. And our folks that were here this morning, they perhaps drove past many churches. You know, uh, a church like this, we, got, we have folks traveling from all over the place. There are people that come on a regular basis that drive an hour sometimes or close to it because they just believe in what is happening here and they want their family to be a part of such a thing. And, and I often tell folks, we had a visiting couple here today from Spencer, Ohio, and looking for a church home. And I said, you know, we, we like to say the difference is worth the distance. You know, what you get here is worth the effort that you put into driving the extra distance. And, and I'm just simply saying, listen, you likely drove past churches tonight on your way here. But just because it says church on it does not make it one of his. It doesn't make it one of his. There are certain identifiers that are found in the church that is Christ's church. And we have to ask ourselves the question tonight, and we have to be honest with ourselves. And here's the question. Is the Cleveland Baptist Church one of Christ's churches? Are we? If we are, if we are, these, these things that are identified here will, will, will surely be clearly seen because, because Jesus said, this is, this is what you look for. You want to know what my church is. You want to know what my church looks like and, and, and how I'm building my church. Then consider these things. And the first thing that we said is that Christ's church is identified. It is identified by proper doctrine. It is identified by proper doctrine. And, and we talked a little bit about that this morning. We said, that, uh, what, we said, what does a church believe about Jesus? That's the starting point. What does a church believe about Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? According to Scripture, Peter gives the answer. And Jesus says, blessed art thou. He says, you have answered correctly. You, uh, you have passed the test with flying colors. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus, here's what we believe about you. We believe that, number one, you are the Messiah. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the anointed one, that he is the promised one. Going all the way back into the early pages of the Old Testament, God promised a deliverer. He promised an anointed one. He promised a Savior to come, and he, he, the Savior would bear, listen, would bear the sins of all of mankind and would save man from his wicked sins. That's who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ. That term Christ, it's Jesus' official title, it's who he is. His name is Jesus, but the, the title is Christ. That means he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Savior. So what does the church believe about Jesus? 
Well, they must believe that he is the Messiah. And then number two, Peter didn't stop there. He says, thou art the Christ. And he said this, he says, you are the son of the living God. He is the son of God. In other words, in other words, Jesus is, 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 is a man, certainly, but he's much more than a man. He is deity in the flesh. He is, he is God uh, in, in, robed in humanity. We, we can't explain it all. We can't figure it all out how God did this, but we believe it because the Bible teaches it to be true. He is the son of God. He is God himself. He is the creator. The Bible says that by him all things consist. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning, and the Bible talks about the fact that he created all things. So listen, listen, he is, uh, he is Jesus is not just the son of God. He is God himself. Church must believe that in order to be Christ's church. And then we said not only what does a church believe about Jesus, but how about this one? What does a church believe about the Bible? In verse number 17, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And then he says this, he says, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. Now, now if we were going to gather as a church on a regular basis, and you were going to hear a message from Pastor Pete. In, in other words, hear me out here. In other words, if I was going to stand, and I was just going to talk to you about what I think about things, that would be a message that comes to you and that is revealed to you by flesh and blood. And as a result, as a result, my opinion from time to time probably would object with your opinion, and we probably, you know, we'd clash a little bit, and, and you'd walk out of here scratching your head saying, I don't know that I agree with that. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I say things, I walk away from it saying, I'm not sure I agree with what I just said myself, you know. Uh, I, I, think, I think you understand, you understand that to, to hear a message from me is not sufficient. And Jesus looks at Simon, who probably, who probably, if we, if we can sort of read between the lines a little bit, he's probably thinking, man, I answered this right. I got this right, and Jesus is praising me for it. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjoni. He's got that big smile on his face. And then all of a sudden, he you know, comes crashing back down to earth when Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't, re- that, that didn't come from you. You didn't make that up. That, that, that's, not, that's not your opinion or your philosophy on things. He says, no, no, flesh and blood did not reveal that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I want you to know something. The Bible is clear that holy men of God, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, in other words, this book is not the writings of men. This is not the writings of flesh and blood. This is not the revelation of flesh and blood. This is the revelation of Almighty God. What we find in this book has been revealed to us from our Father which is in heaven. That's why this book is so important. That's why this book becomes our foundation for what we believe and what we practice and what we preach. And, uh, and, and there ought to be a group of people that if I were to ever stand up here and say something like this, you can put your Bibles away because you're not going to need them tonight. There ought to be someone say, you can turn your office keys in because you're not going to need them ever again. Because listen, the church, the church has a responsibility and obligation to preach God's word. If you're coming here to hear my opinions, you wasted your time. The difference is not worth the distance. You might as well stay home. But if you're coming here and someone is going to stand behind this pulpit and someone is going to preach a message from God's word, hey, listen, hey, listen, that's, that's, worth, that's worth your time and it's worth your effort. So what does the church believe? What does the church believe? What do they believe about Jesus? What do they, what do they believe about the Bible? 
So a church can be identified, Christ's church can be identified by proper doctrine. But notice secondly, here tonight we discover in our text that Christ's church can be identified by prevailing over darkness. Christ's church can be identified by a sense in which they're prevailing over darkness. Look in verse number 18. Jesus says, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's some things that you need to know as we consider this concept or this idea of the church that is Christ's church being identified by a prevailing, a sense of prevailing or winning or, or succeeding or seeing victory over darkness. Number one, you need to know this. The church, listen, the church is resisted regularly by adversaries. The church is resisted by adversaries. You would think, wouldn't you? You would think that a group of people that gather together to worship God regularly, they, they have as a goal to do good works in their community. Uh, they have as a goal to strive to leave the world a better place than they found it. Uh, they have as their goal to tell other people about Jesus so that they don't die and spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Uh, they have the, as their goal uh, uh, to, to give so that they can make the lives of others enriched and make them better. You would think, you would think that a group of people that had that type of goal and that type of pursuit in their life, you would think that that type of people would be embraced warmly and welcomed by all, wouldn't you? I mean, who, who doesn't want to be around a group of people like that? that are gathering to worship and to serve the community and to serve the Lord and to tell other people about Jesus and how they can avoid dying and going to hell. Man, I, I want to be around a crowd like that. But listen, you would think that that's the case, but you would be wrong if you thought that way. You'd be dead wrong. The truth is that in almost every society and almost every culture, with, with, with the rare exception of ours, the church has been dismissed. I'm talking about the true church, the church that has preached God's word and has believed the right things about Jesus. That church throughout history has been dismissed. It has been marginalized. It has been resisted and it has even been persecuted. Now listen, we sit here and we know very little of that type of thing. We have been blessed beyond belief. We truly have that, that we, we live in this country and we enjoy the freedoms that we have enjoyed. But I just want to warn you. I just want to warn you. I, I don't know that those freedoms and those liberties are going to last forever. I am, I am sensing some things. We are seeing some things that are happening. And I remember as a boy sitting in this church and hearing Pastor Thompson talk about those things. And uh, warn about some things, and and uh, and he may he may have been off a little bit in his timing, but I do believe I do believe he was right. I do believe there's a there's coming a day in which pastors who preach God's word could be arrested even in this country. I do believe there may be coming a day in which. Uh, churches that refuse to get behind the woke agenda and refuse to, uh, to get in line and lockstep with what the world is promoting and what the world is pushing are, are potentially in danger of losing you know, their, their tax privileges or maybe even worse are in danger of showing up one day and finding that the doors to their buildings are padlocked and they're forbidden to worship in their, in their buildings and in their property and, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. I, I, I really do believe that those things very well could happen happen in our country. I think, I think what's happening, I think you're seeing what's happening is, is that the culture is going after the conservatives in the political realm first. 
And once they've gone down that road and they've made them to look like fools, then they come after the believers, they come after the Christians. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. Now, we have we've enjoyed these freedoms, but they may not last forever. And, and notice that, that Jesus references the gates of hell in our text. This represents the powers, the strategies, and the tactics of the devil in his kingdom. And Matthew Henry writes in his commentary that the devil fights against the church by opposing gospel truths, corrupting gospel ordinances, persecuting good ministers and good Christians, drawing or driving, persuading by craft or forcing by cruelty to that which is inconsistent with the purity of religion. You must know this. The devil longs to silence the church. He longs to destroy it using any means he can. And you must know, you must know, the devil does not fight fairly, nor does he fight honestly. Now the reason, listen, the reason the church is resisted is not because we're such a special group of people. In other words, it's, it's not about you, my friends, and it's not about me. The reason why the devil opposes and resists the church to this extent, the reason why the church has these adversaries has nothing to do with us and is centered completely and solely on the devil's hatred of our God. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not, the devil's not sitting back saying, oh, if I could just, you know, if I could just take down Peter Folger for the sake of Peter Folger, if I could just take down Brother So-and-so for the sake of, no, no, listen, the devil wants to take me down because if he takes me down, then he hurts the cause of Christ. The devil wants to take the Cleveland Baptist Church down, not because the Cleveland Baptist Church is anything, but by taking the Cleveland Baptist Church down, he hurts the cause of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about trying to do damage. It's about trying to destroy the name of our great God. And since the church, listen, is designed by God as his mechanism for carrying the great commission to the ends of the earth, the devil opposes the church in every way. So he's not, he's not so concerned about you and me as he is about our head, Jesus Christ. If you find a church that's being resisted and you find a church that's being warred against by the gates of hell, you can be certain that 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 church is one of Christ's churches. Now let that sink in for just a moment. I think think if you're looking for a church, you ought to be looking looking for a church in which there's some spiritual warfare going on in that place. I mean that sincerely. Now understand, understand, listen, listen, he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So so they're, they're experiencing maybe some of the fiery darts of the wicked, but they are not succumbing to those fiery darts. They are not being destroyed by those fiery darts. No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. The reason the church, again, is resisted, it has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with our Savior. Notice, secondly, we see not only does the church have adversaries, but the church is promised to prevail over its adversaries. The church is promised to prevail over its adversaries. That's what Jesus says here. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Well, if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us, then what does that mean? That means that we're going to prevail against them. Did you know Did you know that the church can never, now let this sink in for a moment, let this sink in for a moment, the church can never be overcome. Now, I, I'm grateful for about five or six amens in here. The church, listen, the church cannot lose. It cannot lose. You know, we sometimes think about that song, I'm on the winning side. All of us like to be winners, don't we? Well, listen, if you're part of the church, you're truly a part of Christ's church, you can't lose, and neither can I. The church can never be overcome. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 17, verses 13 and 14. These have one mind. 
speaking of the speaking of the evil forces during the tribulation period they have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast these shall make war with the lamb and look at that next phrase and the lamb shall overcome them the lamb listen the lamb can't be beat the, the lamb cannot be destroyed now you think about a lamb, and, and we talked about this uh, last week when we preached on the s- subject matter there, the Lord is my shepherd. We talked about how sheep have no natural defense mechanism. They're, they're, they're easily, uh, they can easily succumb to the, to the prey, the predators after them, if not for the shepherd. But, but listen, this, this lamb here, this lamb here cannot be overcome. In fact, this lamb overcomes all of the forces of evil and wickedness. Why? Why? Go back to that passage if you would. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him, that's us. That, that's us. If we're truly Christ's church, they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Listen, try as he might, the devil, no, no, not even all the forces of hell itself cannot prevail against his church. The, the church cannot be overcome. Now, in Matthew 28, 18, Christ prefaced his great commission with these words. Before he ever gave the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, here's what he said. He said this, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So you might be sitting here saying, well, why cannot the church be overcome? Well, here's why. Because because Christ is the head of the church, and he said this, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What else do you need? What else could we possibly need? We have all power that is available to us. It's given unto him, and he, he sees to it that it is used to be a help and a blessing to us and the cause that we have down here. You know, we sometimes fear the future. We fear the unknown, but we must remember, oh, we must remember, we serve a God with all power. We serve a God who has all power, not just power down here on this earth, but power in heaven as well. You know, we look at a task that lies before us to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's daunting. Over seven billion people alive on planet Earth. I've heard some of the statistics of, you know, if you were to start talking to every person, it'd take you hundreds of years to get through it because seven billion people would take, you know, and I've heard all of that stuff. But listen, you, you throw all the statistics out the window because we serve a God with all power. He has all power. God with all power, listen, can see to it that we, that we fulfill the great commission that has been given to us. We just have to believe, we just have to believe and trust him and, and, and rest in his power and depend upon the God who has all power. You know, we, how, how are we supposed to proclaim the gospel of the whole world? And how are we supposed to live holy lives and pure lives and persevere to the end when we're surrounded by so much opposition and so much adversaries? Listen, we can do these things and much more because we are aligned with the one who has all power. Isaiah 54, in verse number 17, I love this verse. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I'm glad I serve a God that no weapon that is formed against me can prosper. I'm glad I serve a God who says, listen, no tongue that rises up against you in judgment can condemn you. Why? Because I'm uncondemned. I am, there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, we serve a God with all power. The church can never be overcome. Now, now we say that statement, and here's, here's how our mind thinks. Our mind thinks like this. He's right. The church can never be overcome in the future. The church is on the winning. We sometimes say it like this. I've read the back of the book, and we win. 
I've read the book of Revelation, and I know what's contained there, and yeah, I know we're going to win someday, but today, woe is us. Oh, it's such a miserable, miserable existence, and we're just barely getting by, and we're just keeping our head above water. But I want you to know this. Listen, I want you, I want you to know that I believe the church can live in victory today. Now this, this, doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be a future victory. Listen, you and I, you and I can live in victory today. I, um, I want to be a part of a church. I want to be a part of a church that is living in and experiencing victory over the gates of hell this very moment. I don't, want to, I don't want to sit in a church that's sitting here saying, well, bless God. In the final, you know, we're, we're weak and anemic and pathetic right now and nothing's happening and people aren't being saved and God's not being glorified and we're not advancing the cause of Christ. But that's okay. Someday, someday, God's gonna come back and God's gonna make everything right. Listen, I don't wanna be a part of a church like that. You know what that is? That's a dead church. That's a dead church. And I don't want to be a part of a dead church. I want to be a part of a church that is alive. I want to be a part of a church that is moving forward, that is advancing. You know, I want, I want to be a part of a church that sees decisions like this happening on a weekly basis. I want to be a part of a church that is, uh, you know, somebody, somebody told me, they, they said, I, I came a couple Sundays ago, and they said, I, I, uh, this person just lived just down the street from here, and they said, I, uh, I, I, wanted, to, uh, I wanted to just drive and, and, and park my car here. And they said they drove on the parking lot around 11 o'clock, and they said they drove through the whole parking lot, couldn't find a parking spot, drove home, and ended of walking back to the church. Now that's, you know what that did? That encouraged my heart. I want to be a part of a church in which people, listen, in, in which we got we're, we're, we to find more parking spaces. We're, 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 we got to find more space and, and we're not there yet. We've got a long ways to go. But that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Now listen, it's not, the, goal is, the goal is never growth. The goal is God and getting as close to God as we possibly can. But I want to say this, when a church, when a church has the power of God and has the presence of God in it, people are going to come. People are going to want to be a part of that because people want to be a part of something that is alive, something that is moving ahead and that is moving forward. Listen, we should not be satisfied with victory and overcoming the adversary. Someday, we should desire and live in that victory today. Now, what exactly does that look like? I want to share with you some, some ways in which the church can live in victory today, not just someday. Let me, let me point these things out to you. Number one is by fulfilling the Great Commission. We can live in victory today by fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission was given to the church. The Great Commission is threefold. I think a lot of times we, we think of the Great Commission and we just think of it being one thing, and that is just going out and preaching the gospel. That's part of it, but that's only part of it. In fact, that's only a third of the Great Commission. In other words, if you go out and you preach the gospel and you win a bunch of people to Christ, but you go no further, then you have not fulfilled the Great Commission. You study it, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, you will find that a church, listen, a church that fulfills the Great Commission is doing that in three ways. Number one, they're evangelizing. In other words, they're proclaiming the gospel and they're seeing people saved. They're evangelizing. Number two, number two, they're not just evangelizing, but they are baptizing those who have been evangelized. So when someone gets saved, they're working with them, working patiently with them. They're sitting them down and they're teaching them, hey, listen, here's what baptism is and here's why it's important and, and here's how it's to be done and here's where it's to be done and when it's to be done and here's what it means and, and, and here's why it's significant. And, and so that is, that is part of the Great Commission. It's very clear, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, going to all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. So, so notice that that's, that's, that's another part of the Great Commission. Notice, notice the third element is not just to evangelize and not just to baptize, but the third element is to teach or disciple those who come to Christ and are baptized. 
Now, this coming a week from today, Brother Jack will finish another class and we'll present certificates to folks who have been through that class. And while that's going on, there's one-on-one discipleship that is happening. And, and uh, we're, we're, we, we believe very strongly in this type of thing because that is part of the Great Commission. If we're just winning souls to Christ, but we're not baptizing them and we're not discipling or teaching them, then we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. And here's what I would say. I would say this. I would not want to be in a church. I would not want to be in a church, and you shouldn't want to be in a church either where people are not being saved regularly. You ought, to, you, ought to, you ought to say, you know, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Because that's part, listen, that's part of, that's part of prevailing over darkness. In other words, we're, we're shining the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in people's lives, and people are accepting Jesus Christ their Savior. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church that's not seeing people baptized regularly. And we've been in a weird stretch because this baptistry's been out. And, uh, and, and so we understand all of that. But, but Lord willing, next week we're going to start baptizing people again. And it's, you know, listen, my burden, it's my desire for us to baptize people as regularly as possible. Now, I don't want to just run people through the water who have no idea what baptism is about. And I want them to understand what they're getting themselves into. That baptism is, is, is an important step in their lives and it introduces them into the membership of the church and with that comes responsibilities and, and, and roles that they need to play. But I'm just simply saying, listen, that the church, I want to be a part of a church that's seeing people saved. I want to be a part of a church that's seeing people baptized and I certainly want to be a part of a church that's seeing people discipled and growing in their faith. That's the, that's the Great Commission. And when a church is fulfilling the Great Commission, that church, listen, is demonstrating, they're demonstrating they have prevailing power over darkness. But notice, secondly, I believe a church can live in victory today, not just by fulfilling the Great Commission, but number two, by developing our spiritual gifts. Why don't you hold your place in Matthew chapter 16. Why don't you go with me to Romans 12, would you? We talked about this several months ago when we were preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. We spent quite a bit of time in uh, dealing with the spiritual gifts, and I think we even made available a, a spiritual gifts test in which you could take it and get an idea of what your spiritual gift is. But I want you to see the spiritual gifts that are listed here in Romans 12, because I have, I've spent a lot of time with Christians, and a lot of Christians don't even know what the spiritual gifts are. And listen, if you've been saved, you've been born again, then upon your conversion, upon the day that you got saved, Christ gave you a gift. And listen, that gift is not to be used however you want to use it. That gift is to be used within the context of the local church. Now look what he says in, in, in verse number six. How do we know that, by the way? Well, in the previous verses, he talks about being members of one body. So the context is that these gifts are to be practiced and to be used as a part of this body, to help the body. Now look in verse number six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So likely your spiritual gift is different than mine, and mine is different than yours. And who makes that determination? The Holy Spirit of God makes that determination. And he does it by his grace. And he says, that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So the first gift is, is, is the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. I, I personally believe that's the gift of preaching. I believe that someone who is equipped and gifted to be able to stand before a group of people and to proclaim with authority and with the Holy Spirit of God's power, here's what the Bible says, and to make it make sense in the hearts and lives of people. Amen. The gift of prophecy. Notice he goes on to say in verse number seven, or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. Do you have the gift of ministry? Some of you, you have that gift. Oh, man, you're just constantly looking for ways that you can minister. You're subtle about it. You know, you don't need much praise. You just, you know, you just slide in and you do what needs to be done and then you slide out. You don't need to, you know. But that's, you know, you're waiting on this idea of ministering. I'm waiting. What can I do to serve the Lord? What can I do to serve others? The gift of ministry. Notice he says 
in verse number, um, verse number seven, or he that teacheth on teaching. Now, teaching and preaching are not the same thing. I think, listen, I, I personally think that all good preaching should have some teaching in it. And on the other hand, I think all, some, all, all good teaching should have some preaching in it too. You know, you, 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 you know, you know when you're around a passionate teacher. They could be teaching phonics. They could be teaching math, you know. Sometimes I'm sitting in, as a kid in high school, I'm sitting in my math class, I'm saying, why are you preaching at me, you know? But it's because they're passionate about the subject. They want their students to get it. But preaching and teaching are not the same thing. And some of you, some of you, you have the gift of being able to open the Bible and teach the Bible. By the way, by the way, uh, we, we, it, it's a, it ought to be a crime punishable by going to jail to take the book of, of God's word, to take the Bible and make it boring. I mean, honestly, this is the most thrilling book in all of the world with some of the most incredible stories in all of the world. And, and God, God help us that maybe we're not prepared enough where we show up and we stumble all over the place and we make this book boring, God forbid. Man, our, our kids, when they come to church, they ought to, they ought to run to their classes saying, I, I know, I know I'm gonna hear a lesson. I'm gonna hear a message from God's word. Folks ought to run into the auditorium. Do you run into the auditorium? I'm going to start watching you as you come into the auditorium. You're in a hurry to get here. Some of you are running in at the last minute, you know, and trying to find your seat. But listen, I'm just simply saying there are, there are people in the church that have the gift of teaching. They're developing and growing in that. Or he says in verse number eight, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. What does it mean to exhort? It means to build up. And there are people in this church who know how to build other people up. Man, if it could be a text message, it could be an email, it could be a social media comment, it could be, it could be in person, it could be a note that is written by hand. Uh, it, it just a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And there are just, you know as well as I do, there are just some people in this church that they know how to exhort. They know how to encourage people. If that's you, are you growing in that gift? No, notice the next gift. Here, this makes people a little bit nervous, but here it is. And he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. There are people in the church that know how to give. Now listen, listen, some of you are sitting here saying, I knew it. I knew it. I don't have the gift of giving. I'm off the hook. I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. No, that's not what that means. That's not what that means. It's obvious, isn't it, that everybody needs to give. Everybody needs to give. But some, but some, they just have a, just have a special gift. You know, there's just certain people that, you know, they, they just, you know, they give you the shirt off their back. No, 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 no problem to them. You, know, they, you got something that, or they have something that, you know, that you compliment them on or that they know that you need and they don't hesitate. Here, take it, take it. I'm given to understand, I, I, um, I'm gonna mess up parts of this story, but I'm given to understand that years ago in the early days of this church, that Pastor Thompson, I think, if I remember correctly, he was traveling and had to go somewhere and uh, the car that he had was not in good shape. And this is in the early days. I think the church might have still been meeting in the house. And my grandfather got word that he was going to make a trip and that his car wasn't roadworthy. And so my grandpa came to him and said, hey, listen. He says, I know your car is not worthy enough to take this trip. Why don't you take mine and you use my car? Little things like that. You know, giving, giving isn't always financial. You know, we can give a compliment. We can give an encouraging word. We, we, can, you know, we can give a few hours to watch somebody's children so that they can take a break a little bit. We can, you know, we, we, can, we can give in any number of ways. We can give to go over to somebody's house and clean out a flower bed or, or to mow their lawn or to, you know, or, to, or to do whatever needs to be done. Listen, giving is not necessarily all financial. By the way, when it says to give their, to do it with simplicity, that, that just simply means, that just simply means they do it without expecting anything in return. 
That's what, that's what the gift of giving is all about. So growing in the gift of giving. Uh, and then ruling. There's verse number eight. He that ruleth with diligence. Some people that just have leadership qualities in the church. And we oftentimes, we go to them for counsel or we go to them for, uh, we put them in a position in which they have some leadership, some oversight of a particular ministry or a particular thing that's going on in the church. Or he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All I'm saying is, listen, I wanna be, be a part of a church where all of these gifts are evident and where the folks that have these gifts understand I have these gifts and I am developing, I am advancing, I am growing in these gifts. Now listen, you likely will only have one. Maybe you'll have two. Maybe on a rare occasion there's somebody who has three or four. But listen, if you're saved tonight, you have one of these. Then God expects you to use it in the local church for his honor and for his glory. When that happens, listen, when that happens, the church prevails over darkness. Number three, by putting on the new man. By putting on the new man. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. You know, the new man, according to Ephesians 4, he no longer lies. He's no longer angry in a sinful way. He's not stealing anymore. He's careful about his communication. He's kind and he's tender-hearted. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but listen, I don't want to be a part of a church where people are running around lying and stealing and getting angry with each other, constantly in one another's face about silly things, stupid things. I don't want to be a part of a church where there's not a, a kindness and a tenderheartedness in which there's not a forgiving spirit. And you shouldn't want to be in a church like that either. No, when we come, when we come into the church, we come into God's house, there ought to be a sweet spirit in this place. There be a sweet spirit in this place. I, I don't have time to, to develop this third thought. But I would just say this, number three, Christ's church can be identified by possessing the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How do you know, how do you know you're in Christ's church? And number one, you can identify it by proper doctrine. What do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about his word? You can identify it. You can identify it by prevailing power over darkness. Number three, you can identify it by that church possessing the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In verse number 19, going back to Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus said these words. He says in Matthew 16 in verse number 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, Whatsoever thou shalt loose on her shall be loosed in heaven. I believe that the keys are, are twofold. I believe, number one, there's the key of the gospel. There's the key of the gospel. Peter, Peter himself was the primary preacher on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, 3,000 Jews were saved and baptized and added to the church, according to Acts chapter number 2. Peter was the man that the Gentile Cornelius sent for. You remember that? A little bit later in the book of Acts. Peter obeyed the Lord, and he went to Cornelius, who was saved. And, of course, this conversion opened the door of salvation to hundreds of millions of Gentiles over the years. Any person who would repent of their sins and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ could be saved. Listen, most people who are saved today, now think about this. Most people who are saved today are saved because the church has impacted them and given them the gospel. Now, we understand, obviously, no one is saved without Christ. We, we get that. We understand that. But I'm saying that the church is the vehicle. It is the vehicle through which Christ gives the gospel to the world. As you think about your conversion, how you got saved, maybe you got saved in a church service. Maybe you got saved because somebody from a church came by and knocked on your door. Maybe you got saved because a coworker began to talk to you or because a, uh, somebody in your school came and gave you the gospel and they invited you to their church. And today we're sending missionaries, trying to send missionaries all over the globe so those missionaries could go out and they can preach the gospel to people. And here's, listen, here's how people are getting saved. They're getting saved because the church, listen, the church holds the key of the gospel. Now listen, if we take that key and we put it in our pocket and we never do anything with it, what happens? People don't get saved. 
People don't learn about Jesus. Because listen, people are not gonna learn about Jesus apart from the church. The world's not gonna preach the gospel to them. Hollywood's not gonna preach the gospel to them. Nashville and the music industry is not gonna preach the gospel. And you better believe, listen, you better believe the public school system's not gonna preach the gospel to them. If the gospel is going to be delivered, it's going to be delivered because the church preaches the gospel. And by, and by doing so, listen, by doing so, listen, people have an opportunity to have the doors of the kingdom of heaven opened unto them. What a great opportunity. The key of the gospel. But notice, secondly, I think he's referencing also the key of church polity here. The key of church polity. The word polity, it means a form or process of government or constitution. Now understand this, we don't have the right to make up the rules that the churches do abide by. But we do have the right to enforce that those rules are kept. And the church has that authority. And Jesus says if the church decides to loose something, then it's loosed. So long as it's in accordance with this book. If the church decides to bind something, then it is bound. Understand, listen, God, God we're, we're, we're not playing games in here. This isn't, this isn't just a country club type of an environment where we come and we put our time in and we've got our friends. And, now listen, we are doing kingdom work that is eternal in this place. We, listen, as a church, we have the authority, according to what Jesus says here, we have the authority to loose some things and we have the authority to bind some things. The polity of the church is discovered in the Bible. It's discovered in the word of God. Sometimes someone will come to me and say, did you hear what that church did or what that pastor did? I'll, I'll hear that from time to time. You know, church down the street, did you hear what they did? Sometimes it's, it's in a positive, affirming way, and sometimes it's in a condemning way. You know, most often, most often my answer to people who come to me is this. You know what? They're their own church. They can do, they can do whatever they decide to do. I'm not part of that church. I have, you know, I have nothing to do with that, whether good or bad. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not part of that. I, I'm not here to condemn that. I'm not here to, uh, you know, if, if they're preaching the gospel, then praise the Lord. But I'm not, I'm not part of that church. That church is doing its own thing, however they see fit. But I, listen, I don't have an obligation to that church, but I do have an obligation to make sure that this church, and so do you, that this church does what we believe the Bible clearly teaches. We've been given the keys to loose or bind, not only here on earth, but also in heaven. I believe Christ is referencing, in some cases, the authority to forbid or to permit what the church wished to appoint so long, so long as it was not something that was clearly permitted or clearly forbidden in the Bible. Now, I want to give you an illustration of this, and, and just to give you an instance of this so you kind of get an idea. In the early days of the church, the mostly Jewish leadership of the church in Jerusalem, they forbade the Gentile believers in the church at Antioch from some things that were clearly morally commanded. And the church had come to them from Antioch and they had some questions about some things. And the church gave an answer. And I want you to see it very quickly, Acts 15. We're almost done. Acts chapter number 15. Would you look there quickly with me tonight? Acts chapter number 15. It's anniversary Sunday. You'll let me preach a little bit longer, won't you? Acts chapter 15. Look in verse number 19. So the church at Antioch, they send Paul, Saul at that time, and Barnabas. They send them to the church of Jerusalem where the apostles are still alive and, and, and are still ministering, and they have some questions about things. And notice, notice the answer that is given. Look in verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is, these are the apostles speaking, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Now listen, that's good no matter if you're Jew or Gentile. That, that's, that's clearly Bible. That's part of the moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. No, listen, we all need to abstain from pollutions of idols. All right? Now notice he goes on to say, he goes on to say, 
that we also from, they abstain from fornication. Now that's good no matter who you are. That's good no matter what culture you live in. That you abstain from fornication. Jew or Gentile, you abstain, abstain from fornication. But notice, and from things strangled, and from blood. Now isn't that interesting? The, the apostles, they answered back and they said, no, you don't have to, you don't have to be circumcised, be a member of the church. You don't, you don't have to go through all of those things. But here's what you do, here's what you do need in order to, to be a part of the church is you need to abstain from idols and idol worship and you need to abstain from fornication. And for whatever reason, they threw in that you should abstain from eating things that were strangled and from eating the blood of animals. Notice verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So he's making a connection here. He says, listen, in every city, in every city where there's a synagogue, somebody is in there and somebody knows the law. And so it would just make sense for that church to maintain a good relationship and a good testimony in that community that they abide by some of the things, not to be saved, but just to have a good testimony. That's what he's saying here. Now, now listen, that, that's not necessarily something that is clearly forbidden to Gentiles. But, but, the, but the church at Antioch sent to the church of Jerusalem and said, what do you think we ought to do? And the church of Jerusalem answered back. And so now the church at Antioch has a decision. What are we going to do with this? This is the teaching that we've been given. This is what they've said. So are we going to rebel against this? Well, not if, not if you believe what Jesus said, that what is bound in heaven or bound on earth is bound in heaven. What's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. I think you know, sometimes people get all frustrated and they'll, they'll say things about why, what we do as a church and why we do things the way that we do. You know, why do we got to do this and why do we got to do that? I mean, for instance, you know, one church has a Sunday night service, another church doesn't. Well, listen, if you're going to attend and belong to the church that has one, then don't complain about it. And, 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 and let me say this, then not only don't complain and gripe about it, but choose to support it. Because that's the church that you've chosen to get involved in. Does the Bible say, does the Bible say that the church has to have a Sunday night service? It says that nowhere. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. And I, listen, I know if I were to stand up tonight and I were to cancel the Sunday night service, 500 of you would, would, would be barking up my tree. And you ought to be. And you ought to be. Because you know what? For 64 years, this church has had a Sunday night service. And you can sit here and say, well, it's not in the Bible. Why do we got to do that? It's what we've chosen to do. And God's used it and God's blessed it. And we've, it's, been, it's been loose down here. It's loosed in heaven. Let's go ahead and do it. Some people don't attend a church that has a Sunday night service, and they gripe and complain. Well, the pastor, why can't you have a Sunday night service? Why can't you do it? Well, you know what? If you want a Sunday night service, go to a church that has a Sunday night service. I mean, honestly. Because the church has the key. Listen, the church holds the keys of church polity. And so long as something is not clearly forbidden in God's word, nor maybe clearly permitted or, or, or demanded in God's word, then in some respects, the church has some, some leverage, they have some leeway to sort of just determine what we're going to do as a church family. And so, don't, don't join the church. If you're going to sit here and say, well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I, I think you ought to do this, and I think you ought to do that, well, then go to the church where they do all the things that you want them to do. And leave us alone for crying out loud, right? And we'll leave you alone too, I promise you. Because Jesus, Jesus says, listen, I, gi I, give, I give to the church the keys. I give the church the keys, and they can do some things with those keys. Keys signify authority, don't they? They signify responsibility. They, they signify a position. They signify relationship. So 
I don't know, maybe you're here tonight, you're looking for a church. <laughs> well, here's who we are. We believe Christ's church is identified by proper doctrine. We believe Christ's church is identified by prevailing over darkness. We believe Christ's church is identified because they possess some keys, keys of the gospel, keys of church polity. That's the kind of church you're looking for. Well, here you go. Some of you have been around for a while. Maybe, maybe you're, you're looking to get out. Well, that's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm just telling you, this is what Christ's church, this is how it's identified. And we're not the only, listen, we're not the only church in Cleveland, Ohio. We understand that. We are well aware of that. There are lots of churches that preach God's word and do these things that we've talked about here tonight. But I am thankful for this one. This one has made a profound impact in my life, and I'm grateful for it. Would you bow your heads with me?